go. All right, wonderful, wonderful to be here. And um, sure, our God is a good God, hey? He really is so good. I just heard some wonderful feedback over the time just of people being healed and uh, things breaking off and changing in their lives. And this is what our God does. As we started last week, we were exploring how God delivers and establishes. And He has delivered us from the world's sin and the devil into His righteousness. And He has established Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that's, that's where we left off the, the sermon. The, the message this morning was around Mark chapter 4 about the seed of the kingdom and what we need to do is we need to do everything we can to protect the seed of the kingdom because it will grow. We don't have to make the seed grow. It grows, but we need to protect it. We need to specifically protect it from what I call the middle class curse, which is that we are in a society which indoctrinates us to seek after comfort and security on every level. And we grow up from a young age all the way through to retirement, continuously seeking comfort and security. Jesus warned us in the parable in Mark chapter 4, where he said that the weeds, which are the worries and the cares and the deceitfulness of riches, will choke the word of the kingdom. Some of us are frustrated in our Christianity. We find that we have not gone anywhere. We understand Jesus is Lord. We understand what he's done. And yet we feel frustrated and stuck. And so we try to do a myriad of things to grow and be stronger, be better and all of that. The, the simple truth is we don't need to try and do all those things. Rather just protect the seed of the kingdom. It will grow. It will become the biggest tree in your garden bearing 60, uh, 30, 60 and 100 fold. Now, that was this morning plus minus. Um, this morning we then move to Mark chapter 9. And God wants to speak on faith. And he's already been speaking to us about faith during this time as the prophetic words came. And we have Jesus coming at the, start, at the end of chapter 8 and the start of chapter 9. And he is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is a pivotal point in the Gospel of Mark. Right before the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus asked his disciples and he says, Who do they say I am? Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are a prophet. And then he said, But who do you say I am? Peter answers these famous words and he says, You are are the Christ. That is awesome. At that point, everything in Mark changes. Up to that point, we're reading about how Jesus is coming. He is demonstrating the kingdom of God. He is bringing liberty and freedom. He is showing that God is good and the devil is bad, basically. Now, at that point, everything changes. The start of Mark chapter 9, Jesus goes up the mount with John, Peter, and James. And he is transfigured in front of them. Peter then says, let us build three tents or tabernacles, shelters. You know, one for you, Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Because Moses and Elijah are on the mount with Jesus. Jesus is shining in glorious radiance. Peter, John, and James are witnessing this with their eyes. 
And as the narrative says there, Peter didn't know what to say. He was like, well, let's build you some shelters because he was afraid. So he kind of just throws it out there like, I don't know what to do. Um, and then a cloud comes down on the mountain and a voice comes from the cloud that says, this is my son. Listen to him. The cloud leaves. Moses and Elijah are gone. Only Jesus remains. Why? Because Moses represented the law which Jesus was fulfilling, and Elijah represented the prophets who spoke of the coming Messiah, who is Jesus. So here he is. Listen to him. Forget the law. Forget the prophets. You have the Son. God the Father, in an auditable voice, in rebuke to Peter honoring all three, says, no, it's only Jesus. It's only Him. Now, from this literal and figurative high place, Jesus, John and James come down. Jesus says, look guys, don't share about this until I've risen from the dead. They're like, I don't know what rising from the dead means, but okay, we mustn't share about this. They come down from this high place. Oh, and the reason why Jesus says that, by the way, is crowd control. Like when, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus had a massive crowd control problem. Remember, they were expecting the Messiah. He comes doing signs and wonders and miracles. Thousands upon thousands of people are coming out to him. If they wanted to, they could make him king. He needs to prevent that. Because if he's made king in that way by human hands, he can't die. Humble himself up to the utmost to be exalted into the highest. So he has to prevent people from exalting him. So he's like, don't tell about this. Because I guarantee you now, Peter, John, and James spread the word. We saw Jesus. Man, Moses' face used to shine. All of Jesus shone. Hey? Like, the, that story gets out. I'm telling you now, they, the, the, the thousands was nothing. You'd have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. That whole region would be like, okay, this is it. Thanks, we're making him king. But it can't be because he needs to die. He needs to establish the covenant. He needs to tear the veil of separation and bring us the Holy Ghost. So, they're coming down the mountain. We're now heading to Mark chapter 9 and verse 17-ish. And they get there, and the disciples are having a dispute. Remember, we're talking about faith today. The disciples are having a dispute with the Pharisees. Disputing never leads to faith. Point one. Now, they're arguing. Why are they arguing? Jesus asked them, why, why, what are you talking about? So a man in the crowd comes out and says, I brought my son to your disciples but they couldn't get him free. Okay? So what are they arguing about? They're arguing semantics around why this person's not free. That's what they're arguing about. They're arguing about uh, 
as we will find out, the goodness of God. And whether this was God's will or not and all of that. How do I know that? Because we will see as we carry on. So now we continue on and we see Jesus then here's the man and the man says okay I brought a son couldn't be delivered and he's like okay now the man says to Jesus look well Jesus first responds and he says oh faithless generation how long will I be with you this is key faithless generation generation is a whole group of people it's not just one person Jesus is rebuking. It's, a, it's actually like the whole lot. <laughs> the whole lot were faithless. So then Jesus says to the man, how long has your boy been like this? And he says, look, it's been like this from childhood. Often this demon has tried to throw him into the fire to kill him or into water to drown him. Now, in our day and age, we kind of make everything safe, so we give demons a hard time. They can't really just throw people in water. You have barriers and all sorts, and I don't think we're lighting open flames. But picture those days. Um, very easy for these things to happen. This child is literally throwing themselves at death all the time. Now, the man then responds and says, you know, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. There's two problems with that. Number one, if you can do anything, so he doesn't believe that Jesus can actually do this. And number two, have compassion on us. He doesn't believe that God is compassionate. It's right there. So you can see Jesus' reference to this faithless generation in Matthew 17, it says, O perverse and unbelieving generation, which then quotes back to Deuteronomy 32.5, which we discussed last week, which shows God as deliverer and establisher. It is nature and his character. Every time we encounter a circumstance, it's God's desire to deliver and establish that thing. So no matter what it is, God is seeking to deliver and to establish. So you come into the scenario with a boy who is trying to kill himself the whole time in fire and water, and he's mute, he can't speak, so, and, and he's dumb apparently, it's like it's, it, he's deaf and dumb. It's like, that's a mess, like the whole thing's a mess. The kid can't hear, he can't speak, he's throwing himself into fire, he's trying to die the whole time. Like, I can get why everyone's like, mm, sorry, <laughs> that's just the way it is, but no. Jesus, by quoting Deuteronomy 32, brings in and says, actually, God wants to deliver this boy and he wants to establish him in life. That's what he wants to do. So, continuing on, the man says, if you can do anything and have compassion on us, Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. So now, Jesus is challenging this man. Notice you have this whole scenario going on. The Pharisees have been arguing with the disciples. The man has come forward. There is already a group of people there. There's a larger crowd off somewhere else because later they start come running because they notice Jesus. And Jesus is having this conversation because he is trying 
to help them see something that they haven't seen before. He is trying to change a perception of God that the generation doesn't see. The whole lot of them. And so he then says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, the man says, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. So in other words, there's the spark of hope inside of him where he's like, I want my kid to be free. I want to believe, but I can't do it. You know, help me in my unbelief. Unbelief are all these things which say, God won't do it. God can't do it. God isn't going to do it. God doesn't do it anymore. God is using that for some good. God brought that on you. Unbelief. Unbelief that God doesn't deliver and establish. Anything that comes against God delivers and God establishes is unbelief. So when you look at your own finances, for example, and you're like, God, I need you to deliver me out of poverty and establish me in wealth, Okay, and I assume you just have a kingdom mindset, so we'll go with that assumption. It's not for selfish reasons that you want the wealth. Okay, so God established me. What comes to mind? Does the barrage of things come to mind like uh, you're unworthy, so things that reflect on your person. You're unworthy. You can't do this. You're not smart enough. You're not clever enough. You've made too many mistakes. You're a mess. Who are you? Why should you? How can you? Okay, all personal things, or God things. God doesn't really want you to prosper. God doesn't love money. God wants to see you uh, poor so that you can be humble, and, and a myriad of other things, all lies, because God always wants to deliver and establish. The same thing with our healing. When something comes at you and perhaps your body uh, isn't well, then you... You pray for healing and what goes through your mind? Is it that God is deliverer and establisher or is it the myriad of other things in our world and our generation today? Do you see how this generational thinking comes in? You get certain uh, groups that think in one way, this group think. So we carry on. So Jesus then, this man then says it. He says, look, help me in my unbelief. Now... Jesus sees a crowd forming. Again, crowd control. He has to sort this out quickly because if he sorts it out in front of a massive crowd, the news spreads, it creates a problem so that he can't even travel freely. We actually see a little later in Mark how Jesus travels secretly through Galilee. You know that. He actually hid himself because it's a problem. There's too many people and he needs to teach his disciples especially teach them about the fact that he's the Messiah. The Messiah has to suffer. When I die, don't be surprised. That's what's in Scripture. That's what's supposed to happen. I will then become the king of kings from that, and then the kingdom will expand. But we can't do this by natural means. People aren't going to make me king. So he starts that teaching also from that juncture in Mark 9. Now, the crowd starts coming raining. So Jesus is this deaf and dumb spirit. I command you in the name. Well, that's what I do. Deaf and dumb spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. That's it. Done. Command. The boy falls down, shakes the bar. Well, actually, when the boy saw him, he shook her in the first place. But now the second time the boy shakes again. And then he's still. So still that some people, enough that Mark would record it, 
thought, this boy is dead. But Jesus just lifted him up, gave him back to his father, and he was fine. Hallelujah. What an awesome thing. What an awesome contrast of failure and victory. And in our lives, we experience failure and victory in God. And having walked this out for a while, I realize that when I don't see my father as the one who delivers and establishes, when I allow too much of this generation, all these voices around me, to come in, it becomes awfully difficult to just trust Jesus. Everyone's saying something different. Um, now, the disciples approached Jesus afterwards, not having really got the reference of perverse and unbelieving generation. Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 32, I think it's verse 5 through 8, you can read it. Um, they approach him and say, why couldn't we do this? And he says, because of your little faith. Now, doesn't that make sense as an answer when you understand that Jesus is saying, look, you're a part of this world. You're a part of this society who doesn't know God, who is perverse. They have corrupted and changed the image of God from God as Father who delivers and establishes you, who carries you on the wings like eagles and brings you to himself that he may be yours and you may be his. That's the whole thing tied up in Moses' song. So is like, like you've forgotten that about God. You don't see him in that light anymore. Instead, you see him in a corrupted way. So when you look to him and pray, you're praying to God who isn't good. You're praying to God who somehow made this happen in your life, made evil come about in your life, and then you're asking the same God who you believe brought it into your life to take it out of your life. But how do you have faith in that circumstance? How, how can you trust God? Faith is just trust. Faith is simply trust. You know, if you know, Vix and I at our, at our house, we, the, the shower kind of leaks a little anyway. So we have this towel which stops it from leaking. And I say to Vex, look, just wring that towel out when you're done, okay? So that the water doesn't sit on the floor. And she does it sometimes and she doesn't do it other times. <laughs> Am I going to trust her to do it? No. I will start to get more involved, right? Exactly the same thing happens to us with God. We have heard all the other stories. We have seen things with our eyes. We have made up conclusions and assumptions. And we have decided God is on and off. God sometimes heals, He sometimes doesn't. God sometimes prospers and sometimes lets you suffer. Uh, God sometimes delivers, He sometimes doesn't. Uh, God's Spirit comes and goes, depending how we feel. Uh, do, you, do you see where this goes? A and, and what are we now? We, as sincere as we are, as hard as we try, 
are part of a perverse and corrupt, faithless generation. And without even knowing it, we have been influenced in our view and our opinion of God so that we no longer see Him as pure love and the ultimate good, but He is a mixture. And somehow, we see ourselves as good by holding that picture of Him being mixed. Like there isn't one of us here who had the means and our brother or sister or mother or father or son or daughter came to us and said, I need a hundred rand because I need to buy lunch today. I haven't eaten. So can you give me the hundred rand so I can just go sort out that lunch? I'm getting paid tomorrow. Everything will be fine. I just need to sort out today. Can I have a hundred rand from you? I don't think there's anyone in this room who would deny their own family. Right? Lots of people nodding. God, so you, being evil, as Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly Father, who's actually good, is going to do this? Do you, do you see the contrast? How being part of this world has created such a messed up view of God. So the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus says, well, you have little faith or you have you lack faith. One of the two, Matthew uses one word in the Greek and uh, Mark uses another. So we're now at the place of, okay, what do we do? And Jesus says, this kind, so this kind of demon, only comes out by prayer and fasting. And everyone's like, oi, let's go pray and fast before I cast out demons. Now, here's the thing. You, you don't really have to pray and fast before casting out demons. But what you do need to do is not have a perverse view of God when you try to cast out demons and when you're looking for healing and when you're looking for his provision, when you're praying for him to come and deliver and break through into your life, you need to not have a perverse view of God. Otherwise, you're praying and while you're praying, you're like, he doesn't like me. (laughs) This isn't going to work. So that reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1 where it says, In Christ you have been already as a believer, I added that in, blessed with every spiritual blessing. Blessings in the Old Testament were always spoken. Abraham blessed Isaac. How did he do it? Put his hand on him, blessed him, spoke over him. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob stole the blessing. How did Jacob steal the blessing? He dressed up as Esau and went there and his father blessed him, spoke it. So the father speaks good of you and has spoken good of you, is speaking good of you, will speak good of you in heaven from the throne continuously all the time. He is speaking good of you. He sees you and he's like, that's my son, that's my daughter. They've chosen to believe in Christ. Therefore, and just wonderful, wonderful speech comes out of his mouth about us because of Christ, because we choose to believe in Christ, because we choose to trust Christ. That's the pivotal thing. Now, as an illustration, and Naaman isn't here, but we'll use him. I don't know where he's, he's drawing somewhere. He's, he's eating. 
He's eating his food out there. If he can hear me, see if he can hear me. Um, no. So Naaman, Naaman knows, okay, I've got a heart for the poor. I've got a heart for the gospel. And he sees this opportunity where uh, a certain church group wants to distribute Bibles into uh, a township, okay? Naaman's like, mm, okay, we need to get the money for that. So Naaman's quite a connector. So he's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to connect this idea with Brad's heart, because I think he's got the money, so we can get the money from him. And that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to go ask Brad for the money, for the Bibles, so we can get them out there. Okay. Now, I'm busy standing, having a chat with some of us Emmanuel folk, and I'm like, you know that guy, Naaman? He is just awesome. He, he has been such a good friend over the years. He has prayed with me. We have walked together. Uh, he has a heart after the gospel. He leads his family in the ways of Christ. Really, you, you know, he, he does a stunning job with the, the music and inspiring people to praise God. And, and as I'm about to say, the next thing where I'm praising Naaman, right? He walks up and he's like, hey, Brad, remember you wanted to uh, sort out some Bibles for the poor in the township? Well, I found an opportunity. I need a couple of thousand. Are you, you know, will you do that? He asks me for it, right? I'm busy praising him. What do you think I'm going to say? No. I mean, I have the money. Is it, am I going to say, no, Naaman, you, 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 no, you, you rubbish, man. Like, you can't. No, I'm busy praising Naaman. And he walks up. You know what I'm going to say? You see, I told you so. Check this guy out. He's amazing. And I'm going to give him the money so that he can go do the very thing I wanted done. He actually is going to do. So I give him my resources. So when we come to the Father in prayer, He is speaking good about us according to Ephesians in the heavenly realms in front of all the angels and the hosts of the angels. And He's busy saying to the people, man, have you seen my daughter Vicky? Have you seen how she believes in my son Jesus, the Messiah? She trusts the gospel. She is amazing. It is absolutely wonderful. And she's like, Father, please, would you heal my boy? What do you think the father is going to say? Oh, no, no, this is rubbish for you. Your boy tripped and fell and hit his head. It's his fault. For so many of us, that's what we think God says. For so many of us, our faith has been perverted by all the junk around us. So we can't just look at him and go, man, out of his mouth are coming blessings. He is speaking. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Every single one of them. And just like the example, his will is always to deliver and establish so here comes someone who wants to bring some healing, some deliverance, something which is exactly in line with what he wants. It's just that he, he, he's, he's in heaven. We're here. We're his hands and feet, you know, with the Holy Spirit. So he's like, man, I really want this to happen. Your, as Jesus said, taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? Through us asking him and doing so we ask and then we do so anyway um 
when we ask according to his will, as 1 John 5 says, you know that God hears you. And if you know that God hears you, we have confidence that we have what we asked. Um, Matthew 7 verse 7 says, if you ask, you receive. John 14, 13 to 15, 13 to 14 says, um, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it for you. So there's all this stuff about asking and he's going to do it. He said he will do it. He said when we pray, he will answer. Okay? So why doesn't it happen? Well, in, in Mark, he teaches us the lesson of the fig tree, right? He said if, you, if you, see the, you, know, you see the fig tree and if you have faith, the size of mustard seed, you can speak to it and you can tell it to go through it. So. Then verse 14, he says, Therefore, when you pray, believe that you have received. Believe is trust. Trust God. Let it be settled. It's done. It's a done matter. I have received it. I have spoken to my Father. It is done. And whether you see it instantly or you need to wait a little bit, doesn't matter. It's done. We have to take that stand. And we have to take that stand on the fact that He loves us, that we are His children, that He is speaking good of us. Just like that example with Naaman where he has got the problem and the need and he knows who's got the solution and he connects the two. That's what we do with prayer. We connect heaven and earth with prayer. That's what we do. That's why prayer is so important. It's so vital. We pray and we ask God in the name of Jesus. We come to him because Jesus is our only claim to fame, but it is a massive claim to fame. Jesus is awesome. And so we come before Father boldly with confidence and we receive what is needed. And all those doubts, all those things which are clouding our mind, all those things which cause us not to stand, from the world around us. Perhaps we've even owned them as our own thoughts. We just let them go. Jesus' answer was this, prayer and fasting. Why prayer and fasting? Prayer takes you where? Into a place where it's just you and God. Can you hear the voice of the world in the place of prayer? No, no one's talking to you. The only one's there, you and God. So why pray? Because prayer takes you away from the perverse and corrupt generation. It takes you out of the generation. Do we have to pray to get, to, to get any status uh, or, or power as a Christian? No. No. But when we do pray, when we do come aside, God is changing our minds and He's helping us realize that is perverse. How can you think that I won't heal someone? Why would you ever think that, Brad? Why would you ever think someone deserved sickness, Brad? I'm like, I don't know. I heard someone preach it once. And he's like, well, I didn't say it. What did I do on earth? Always heal people. Always delivered people. Always cast out demons. When people were hungry and there was, they were at risk because they hadn't eaten or fainting along the way, as he says, he took... Five loaves and a few fish and multiplied it and fed thousands upon thousands. So he feeds. He cares. He is our loving father. He is a good parent. And we are his children. I know this is simple, but the outcome for our lives is profoundly 
powerful. It really is. So, mm, I always have to check this. How are we for time? I love that other people look at their watches. Anyone can go. I look at Ray. Ray doesn't even have a watch on. <laughs> and, and what does that mean? Okay. Okay. Because our Father wants to deliver and establish right now. Right now. What are the things you're struggling with? What are the things that hinder you in your life that you know come against the will of God? Where you're like, man, if this thing could be sorted out, I could walk more fully in the ways of God. God wants to deliver you from that. And He wants to establish you so that you can walk out His will. He wants to do that right now. Right now, He wants to bring healing. Thank you, Jesus. Even